0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Progressive You. I know it's been a little bit, um, but I'm Jack sitting here with my co-host Rachel. We've got a special interview today. We're sitting here with City of Knoxville Mayor Madeline Rijero. Um You might notice it's storming outside, so you might hear some <laughs> thunder sounds here and there. But we're sitting through it. We're really excited to have you uh, to, to have you on the podcast. How, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. It's great to have you two up here in my office, and I'm looking forward to the conversation.
2: Great. Um so uh you were elected the first female mayor in the uh major four cities in Tennessee and um obviously in the last city council races um a record number of women were elected to office um and what what advice do you have um you know what has it been like as a woman to be involved in politics and the troubles that you faced
1: Well it's uh, running for mayor the second time I had very few problems being a woman, but I think that's because we set it up in previous races, right? And I think it's an opportune time now for women to run. But way back when I started in politics it was back in 1990, and I ran for a county commission seat against an incumbent male who'd been in there for 24 years or so. There were three other women on the Knox County Commission, and they had, uh, they were the first three women and they ever to serve on the commission, and they were we're still there. So uh, when I was elected to county commission, I defeated the incumbent. I was the first democratic woman on there. So but that was a commission, a legislative position. And um, it wasn't as difficult as running for uh, for the mayor seat. So in 2003, when I first ran for mayor, there were still people saying, is Knoxville ready for a woman mayor? And, and, and people would comment on my hair and my dress and clothes that I wore. And do I need to take care of my gray in my hair or not? Do I need to wear more makeup or less? You know, there was, everybody had an opinion and that was a part of the conversation. My supporters talked about it in the, at the beauty salon, I was told (laughs) among supporters at the, at the hairdressers. But, uh, so I lost that election, but we were so close and we had been outspent four times that at the end it changed the attitude, it was a very competitive race. So it really made people start thinking, wow, maybe Knoxville is ready for a woman mayor because so many people did vote for me. So eight years later when I ran again, there, um, in fact, the very first public forum, there were two women running, Marilyn Roddy and myself and then two men. And at, and at the time, uh, at the end of the, at the conclusion of the forum, Several people came up and said, okay, we know it's gonna be a woman, which one? Because we had outperformed the two men at the time who were in the race. Other people came in, people came in and out uh, before we had our final five people who were running. But uh, including Marilyn Roddy, she ended up running for another position and didn't stay in the mayor's race. That was me and four guys. So all of this is to say uh, that I think that things have changed. And you mentioned city council races. We had five open seats last year and f- and one of those seats no no woman ran for the second district in the other four districts there was one or more women in each of those and so every district where a woman ran a woman won and so it's a prime opportunity for good candidates to win
0: so I kind of um, want to go back to a little even further um, your first experience in politics. So you had some experience in the labor movement, right? Could you speak a little to that and how you got your start?
1: Right. So I really, I left college actually after my junior year to work with Cesar Chavez and the Farm Workers Union. We were working on the boycott of grapes, lettuce, and Gallo wine at the time. That was in 1974. Uh, that was, uh, I was in Columbus, Ohio, and then we went up to Chicago and worked on the boycott there and then ended up going out to California following the harvest and we were involved in uh, campaigns, election campaigns where farm workers won the right to um, better wages and better working conditions. So that's really where I got my start. Uh, I also later, uh, I did that for three years and later I worked with women coal miners and a support network that they had across the country. And so I worked very closely with the Steelworkers Union, but I come from a union family. My dad was a union plumber uh, before he became uh, owner of his own small company. So I, I was kind of brought up in recognizing that just like businesses organize to to be in the Chamber of Commerce, rightfully so, uh, workers that should have the right to organize uh, to uh, their own unions to represent them at the workplace.
2: So um, you've also been involved with other mayors uh, around the country uh, in terms of the issue of climate change. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about what that experience has been like?
1: Right, so I ran when I ran for mayor uh, in 2011. have <laughs> to remember the timing here. One of my big issues was uh, actually when I ran in '03, it was similarly. But and you know, six and a half years ago when I ran, sustainability and being a greener in Knoxville was a big part of my campaign, and it's something that we've really ratcheted up in the city in terms of our approach uh, to it. Uh, We already had an Office of Sustainability that our former mayor, Haslam, uh, uh, started. And we had federal funding. We had grants to fund that. And then when those ran out under my office uh, when I was mayor, then we used city funds to continue to fund it. We wanted that to be an ongoing city department. And the Office of Sustainability is really an overlay. They work with every single department in the city to make sure uh, that what we are doing is energy efficient, that it's, uh, that we're thinking um, uh, long-term uh, sustainability. So so we do that locally. It's something that this community has embraced uh, largely. And I also work across the country, and actually internationally. I, I was at a, a U.S. and China mayor's climate change conference in, in Beijing a couple summers ago was in Boston a few months ago for uh, the climate mayors as well as Chicago the year before that. So there are many efforts for mayors across the, the globe to come together to talk about this issue and to push for changes not only at the national level, but certainly you know what we can do at the local level. When um, President Trump announced that, that uh, he would be not be pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords, we as mayors came together, and said that we will continue to do our part to reach those goals because it really comes down to what you're doing at the local level.
0: So something that I've noticed in my 18 years of living in Knoxville, not all of which I was politically aware, obviously, (laughs) um, is that there's certainly, at least in the city, a definite spirit of cooperation. So you mentioned some um, things that Mayor Haslam had done um, with the Office of Sustainability. You ran against him in 2003, Mm -hmm. and then you went on to work in his administration correct Um, that's right so Uh so can you speak to that kind of how um, it seems like the city of Knoxville has been able to avoid kind of partisan bickering and and get um, things done in a way that maybe other um, cities haven't
1: yeah and I think that's a very astute observation it's something that I think has been good for the community Uh, so when you run for mayor you run nonpartisan. even though I'm a democrat Bill Haslam is republican when you run for mayor you don't run with the party uh, in a party with the party designation so uh, when he won uh, when he beat me back in 2003 I wanted him to be successful I wanted because if he's successful it means Knoxville is successful right so I, I gave my support to him he asked me to serve on a few different committees like our South Waterfront planning was in the very beginning It all the the original planning happened under uh, Mayor Haslam three years after he beat me he asked me to join his administration and be the director of community development. So I accepted that. And so as a result of that cooperation, then when I ran and he went on to become governor and he would have been term limited anyway. And so I ran and I was able to, uh, because I was part of his administration and supported those efforts that he was involved in. When I became mayor, then we continued those on. You know, we, we, of course, we've done our own thing as well, but a lot of that basis in terms of uh, sustainability, strong neighborhoods, um, a, a strong downtown, vibrant economy, working with the public, private, and nonprofit sectors, all of that, we've had a very smooth transition from his administration to mine because we don't let the partisan partisanship and ideology get in the way of just providing good government service and, and thinking about how we plan for the future.
2: Um, so kind of to go along with that question, um, so, you know, obviously the county mayor's office, Tim Burchett, um, is a Republican and is a partisan partisan um, position. So what is it like, um, you know, as the city mayor to work with the county mayor um, in order to make sure that Knoxville, you know, you're doing the best that you can for the right. city?
1: So Tim Burchett and I have a very good working relationship. There are a lot of things we agree on. There's things, you know, there are policies and politics we don't agree on. But we have really focused on what we, what we agree on and how we can work together. And I think that best serves every one of my constituents is also a county resident, right? So, so um, it's important to me that we collaborate. And he's been a great collaborator as well. So uh, I look forward to working with the new county mayor-elect, Glenn Jacobs, who will start serving uh, August 31st, and we've already had conversations.
0: Um, So something that has always, I like to ask everyone that we interview that's on a county or city level, kind of a local level government, is about affordable housing. Mm -hmm. So this is something that has been an issue throughout the country, and it's something that cities and counties are always facing what seems to be something that's at odds which is developing a community versus keeping the folks that are already living there able to afford it so what's kind of the balanced approach that you like to take and how do we make it so that folks that have lived in a neighborhood for years and years can stay there and their neighborhood can also improve
1: right these are really astute questions that y'all are (laughs) asking so thank you um yeah so there's always a balance for years like many cities, all um, a lot of the wealth left the city, they moved out to the suburbs, right? Businesses, residences, and such. And as a result, we had our downtown went, went down, became blighted, vacant. Many of our uh, first uh, ring neighborhoods became uh, less vibrant than they had been. A lot of vacant and blighted houses and such. So it's important that you have wealth come back into the community because that's who helps pay the taxes. Everyone pays taxes, but it they pay more taxes and they help um, to generate that vitality, the businesses and such that we need to serve all people in the community. So we've really worked on balance. You know, I, I, as I said before, there's not a lot of ideology out the, you know that we ascribe to. We really try to be practical and look for the balance. I know that when investors and developers, when they're able to um, create jobs, build businesses, create jobs. It has it, it has big payoffs for the whole community, and it allows us to do the the quality of life uh, things like sidewalks and and uh, urban wilderness and things like that. So. Um, so I'm sorry, I forgot the question, the original question. No, it's okay. I
0: was, just, I was just asking right about that, about the balance between. Right. Like oh, yeah. So affordable housing. Right. right. Thank you.
1: So with affordable housing, so the good news is that the market is so strong that when those who have had affordable housing, um, there, so there's a demand for more of it, for more market rate housing, right? The bad news is that those who have had incentives to have affordable housing, when those incentives time out because they usually have a 15 or 20 year requirement when they've had any, some kind of assistance uh, for affordable housing to develop affordable housing, then they have to keep it at that rate for so long. So when s- what we saw for a few years is several hundreds, hundreds of those properties, they, they phased out of their requirements and there was such a demand for market rate housing that they switched them which means then we lost affordable housing in the community. So something that's good, a real strong economy and a demand for market also has, has uh, negative repercussions on affordability. So we have invested uh, not only our federal dollars that we get through, through CDBG and home grants to uh, building more rental. For a while, the focus had been on home ownership. For many pre-recession, there was a lot of focus on home ownership post-recession, the emphasis uh, from the federal government and the need locally is for more rental housing. So we have invested significant dollars with KCDC, our Knoxville's Housing Authority, as they build and refurbish uh, the uh, affordable public housing that's there. We also invest quite a bit with our nonprofit partners like Home Source, as, as an example, and East Tennessee Housing Development Agency. I think I got the name right. So they they uh, build housing as well. McNab builds housing uh, for uh, some permanent supportive housing for folks with um, with uh, certain you know issues, certain concerns. Uh, But also we started what we call our Affordable Housing Rental Development Fund where we're leveraging the private dollars to build more affordable uh, housing units um, through the private sector. So we actually, I've put over two budget years, I've put a total of four and a half million dollars in that and it looks like I'm going to need to put some more in even this fiscal year because there's such an interest among the private sector to come in using their equity, bank dollars, low-income housing tax credits, and other sources to build more affordable housing. So we are seeing it. Um, we had last count, we had about six or six or seven hundred new units that are uh, being built or on the books to be built, which is a good sign. So we will continue investing our city dollars so that we can leverage the private dollars to build the affordable housing.
0: So I'm going to ask you one more policy question, and then we're going to ask you two political questions, and you'll be done with us. So <laughs> I'm um, enjoying this. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm really interested in city policy. But anyway, um, so something that Tennessee has always been, as a state, has always been ranked um, the lowest or highest, however you want to put it on, is our sales tax rate. We now have, uh, I think, the highest sales tax rate in the country. It's 9.25 in um, most municipalities. Here in Knoxville and Knox County, it's 9.25%. And obviously the fact that we don't have an income tax has nothing to do with city or county policy. That's a state thing. Um, but just do you see the future... Can you, Do you foresee that um, in the future a sales tax that high um, is doable when proper, we have no income tax in the state of Tennessee and property taxes are relatively low? Or do you see counties and cities transitioning to higher property taxes with lower sales taxes?
1: Well... You know, we still have, there's only a certain amount, most of the sales tax, like 6% is state, mm-hmm. right? And so the the rest is what we add on at the local level. So um, the, uh, or seven, I guess, at the state. Anyway, about two and a quarter is ours. Yeah. Okay, So, um, so we actually can raise that more. We still have, I think, about another half cent we can raise it but by state law, but that would require a vote by the the people in the, um, you know, of the residents of the city. So that is an option for a a future mayor if they wanna do that, the voters would have to agree to it. In the past when sales tax has been raised, then the mayor has gone out there and, and said, this is what it's gonna be used for. And you explain what it is and voters decide. Our property taxes are really our biggest source of revenue. And they are relatively low still, so I think in the future, if as taxes, if taxes get raised, it would be more along the line of property taxes rather than sales tax. There are limits with the sales tax, and that it's sales taxes is, is more regressive, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, but as long as there is no income tax in the in the state of Tennessee, which I don't see that changing any in the in my lifetime then the the focus at the local level will be property tax primarily so obviously
2: you know your um mayoral term is not over with um but of what you've completed so far what has been your proudest accomplishment and your biggest regret of what you haven't necessarily
1: been able to accomplish mm-hmm. proudest accomplishment i um there's so much vitality. There's so many, you can just look around and see so many things that are happening in our city, whether it's looking out my window here and seeing the urban wilderness and the south waterfront, seeing all of the new local businesses that are that are popping up along Severe Avenue and on Central and, um, and we hope will happen on Magnolia as we do the streetscape there. Uh, there's a lot of private investments what we have done is invest our public dollars on streetscapes and amenities quality of life which then brings back the the private sector to invest in businesses and and um, things like regal coming downtown and bringing their 400 uh, or so employees from you know um, the suburbs basically from um, outside of the city to the north so i'm very i'm proud of all of the vitality that we are seeing uh we've We've invested a lot in addressing affordable housing, homelessness, mental health, uh, and uh, opioids. But when you ask what's our biggest regret, my biggest regret regret is that those last four last things that I mentioned, they are the hardest issues to solve because i can I can do a streetscape, say down Cumberland and see the immediate response. We spend $17 million on, on redoing Cumberland, and there's $190 million now of private investment. Well, students who used to, to live all over town, more of them are coming in and creating density along the corridors, which means that it's, um, it's um, better to, to, for bus service and such. When you have density along the corridors, it makes it more efficient for us to be able to continue to expand the bus service, which we have done. The hardest issues for any mayor to solve are those like uh, mental health issues, opioid abuse, and, um, and homelessness, because there are many factors that, that cause those problems. Uh, and so that's the most frustrating part because we still see that. We have a focus on those issues uh, and affordable housing, as we already mentioned, but I alone can't solve it with an easy fix. So we continue to work on it, continue to work on it. We have um, many initiatives to address each of those issues. But it's frustrating to still still see that you've not solved the problem.
0: So um, obviously, as Rachel mentioned, your term is not over, but you've got about a year left. Mm -hmm. Um, A year and a half, roughly. Um, And so there are people that are looking to be your successor. I just want to know, like, what what are you looking for in your successor what would you <laughs> want um your successor to do with what you've done so far
1: yeah well um the voters will decide <laughs> basically yeah. well, on I that i don't want you to i do want you right. to
0: tell me who, who you're supporting just yeah like what what whoever's yeah. mayor what do you want them right. to do
1: well i hope there's a just like there was a smooth transition from mayor haslam to to me uh, i hope there will be a smooth transition and i think that uh because what we do is always a product of a lot of public process, really what are the, the projects that we have prioritized, there's a lot of community support for it. So I would think that the candidates who are getting ready and gearing up for a campaign uh, will be looking at what we're already doing and how they can continue and expand on it. Um, obviously, I, you know, I would be less supportive of somebody coming in saying they're going a totally different direction because we think that our the direction we're heading is the one that people in this community want. But that'll ultimately be up to what what, what the candidates will do will will be to share their vision of of what they think should happen, and then the voters. Uh, decide but regardless we'll be prepared to provide a smooth transition to whoever is elected that next mayor and the new council that comes in the uh, four new there'll be four of the nine council members will be elected as well they'll all be brand new so they and the the council members who uh, will continue on they'll have to decide that future direction
0: so I said there were two more questions but there's one more there are okay. some things we didn't get to but I asked this for um, people that we interview that are relatively popular. I think you're pretty popular around (laughs) the city, Um, and I don't think you're gonna give me an answer, but um, is this the last we're going to see of Madeline Rojero? Is she going into retirement, or is she thinking of (laughs) serving in some other form of government?
1: Yeah. At this time, I do not have plans to run for another office, but I won't, never say never, right? So I won't say I never will at this point, I don't have my eyes on anything. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Okay. You'll know. I'll make it public. But I'll be I'll be retirement age. But I know so much. I've, I feel like I've I have had so many great experiences from my early days of working with farm workers to working with nonprofits to working here in the city and and then being mayor. That I'd I'd love to package that somehow and, and consult, help people, help groups or organizations or other mayors uh, in any way that I might be able to. So I'm still putting that together. Okay.
0: Well, Madeline Rojero, Mayor of Knoxville, thanks so much for your time. We enjoyed having you.
1: Thank you. And I want to say thank you to both of you for caring about local politics like this and anyone who might be listening. The people who vote at the local level people who vote at all levels are primarily in the older demographics, right? And particularly at the local level, uh the younger generation is not as tuned in. But this is the this is the level where we decide do you have greenways? Do you have an urban wilderness? Do you have put-ins on the on the river to kayak? Uh do, are there jobs? Do you have a vibrant downtown? Do you have safe neighborhoods and as you start to have your families and you know, do they, are, are there at the local level on the county side? Do you have good schools for your kids to go to, right? So, so much is determined at the local level. So, I really appreciate that you all are tuned in to, to the local level. And um, and hopefully this will inspire your listeners to tune in to the local level as well.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. And thanks mm-hmm. for that compliment. Yeah. Enjoyed <laughs> having you. Thank, thank
1: you. you. Thank you so much.